0: Hi everyone and welcome to a new episode of the Legal Wolf podcast which was set up to raise awareness of mental health and also tackle the stigma surrounding mental health not only in the UK where I'm based but on a global scale. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Asavari who is very passionate regarding mental health laws within India and the rights associated with mental health care. Hi Asavari.
1: Hi, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me.
0: No problem. You're very welcome. And first of all, just for the listeners, would you be able to provide a bit of a background about yourself and also the reason that you became passionate regarding mental health?
1: Certainly. Uh, So I attended law school at Indian Law Society's Law College, which is based in Pune. Um, in India. Uh, And I graduated in the year 2018. Um, I also secured my teacher training certification and qualification in yoga in the same year in 2018. Uh, I'm a very keen sports person. I enjoy playing every day. So that's one of my other passions. And um, The reason that I became a mental health advocate, well, the primary motivation for this uh, comes from the fact that I am someone with lived experience of mental illnesses. And um, when I decided to go public with my experience and journey as a user survivor in 2019, advocacy was embraced naturally almost as a part of this process and as a lawyer i found mental health laws a few years ago and it only sort of fueled this pre-existing drive and passion that i had for mental health care so i took a very conscious decision to focus my attention my study and my abilities in the field of mental health law and in fact i think understanding the advocacy part before the legal aspect of mental health really helped because it it seemed to add an almost empathetic touch and value to my professional space and trajectory. So this is what my journey has been like so far.
0: Okay, wow. And in terms of the lived experiences of mental health that you yes. had... um. How did you come to terms with dealing with those lived experiences and and what journey have you been on?
1: Well, um, I was diagnosed in the year 2015 and uh, I was very fortunate to have a wonderful uh, psychiatrist from within the fraternity who I uh, took help from. Um, The initial years were a little difficult um, to deal with because this notion of, um, you know, these ideas of why is it happening to me or why do I feel this way? Others seem to be very happy around me. Uh, That uh, chain of thought was there a lot of the time when I was, you know, coming to terms with it initially. But... uh, Mm -hmm. I think the acceptance came in a big way when uh, I took to spirituality and I have made it a part of my life for over three years now and it is something that has helped me bring a lot of peace and understanding with, um, with whatever I am going through, whatever I have gone through. And I think in terms of the treatment uh, model, the medication plus therapy model which was introduced to me by God's face worked really well for me. So it was, yeah. I, I think, in fact, with time, the acceptance, the understanding, all of it kind of fell into place uh, for me.
0: Okay. And then, obviously, um, there has been a previous episode where I've discussed the Indian Mental Health Care Act, which yes. was in 2018, which I found fascinating because the Indian Mental Health Care Act does appear to be ahead of the UK's Mental Health Act in certain areas so um, we are currently going through our own reform of our own Mental Health Act to bring it into the 21st century and some of the proposals that we have are to bring in advanced directives uh-huh. and nominated representatives for uh-huh. the individual. Whereas uh-huh. when I was looking at the Indian Mental Health Care Act, you uh-huh. already have those two things yes. in place. Yes. Um. The, the one thing that I was very surprised about was the lack of funding that is given to mental health within India. Yeah, I, I I was yes. staggered by that. I mean, in terms of your passion for the mental health laws... Right. ...and the rights associated with mental health care, what are your thoughts on the Indian Mental Health Care Act? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh Okay, so uh, I, I do feel that the, the, the most recent version of the Act that we have before us, which came... Uh, about in the year 2017 is definitely progressive it has taken a lot of steps in the right direction in terms of um, you know something as simple as laying down the qualifications and standards for different kinds of professionals who can practice in the mental health space which i think is very very good whether you are a medical practitioner or you call yourself a psychologist or a psychiatrist, what those standards would be are clearly laid down under the Act, which is great. Uh, The Act has also specifically made or rather placed obligations on the governments at all levels to increase awareness and information on mental health within the country. And that also entails a duty to reduce stigma. Um, there are a lot. There is a lot of good, but I do feel that the act does have a long way to go. There are aspects of the legislation that we're still lacking in, so it's not a perfect legislation, and there are still things that we need to achieve within the law.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I could certainly agree in terms of our Mental Health Act. It, it's it's okay. got a lot of positives, but there there is. Some further work that needs to be done, which hopefully yes. with these reforms, the act's going to be more yes. patient centred and the patient is at the heart of everything, which is essentially what the act should be there right. for in order to give them the right to challenge certain things. Right. Um, for one, and then in terms of with the adolescents and the rights associated towards them. Right. What would you be able to tell us in regards to the adolescent mental health care within India?
1: Okay. So, when we're looking at the rights aspect for adolescent mental health care, I would say that their rights are not adequately represented within the legislation at this point in time. Uh, in fact, when I went through the legislation, I realized that most of the provisions actually exclude uh, minors from yeah. exercising those rights. So, whether you look at an advanced directive or you look at uh, appointing a nominated representative, whether you look at admission or discharge from mental health establishments, a lot of the Rights that could be exercised at least by adolescents, um, they have been um kind of excluded from. So I did I did find that uh, problematic because um essentially the confidentiality and the consent part of the mental health care process, um, adolescents are not participating in the rights that pertain to them or or in mental health care decisions that potentially affect their lives. So I, I found that to be hugely problematic.
0: Yeah, it, it, it is rather staggering that adolescents seem to have been excluded and that it yes. seems to just focus purely on adults, yes. which yes. isn't the right example that you want to give in terms of well it's only adults that suffer with mental health because adolescents also suffer with mental health and particularly now at the moment with COVID-19 and with a lot of the schools being closed and they're doing homeschooling that will obviously have a detrimental impact on the youngsters, because they can't see their friends on a day-to-day basis. Yes, they can stay in contact through social media, WhatsApp, FaceTime. Right. But it's still not the same as physically seeing your friends and playing football with them in the playground, for example. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised that they've allowed it to exclude. Uh, has anyone challenged that?
1: Uh, to my to my knowledge, to this point of time, I have not come across a challenge of that kind. And I think why it came to my notice in the first place is because, you know, through uh, teaching yoga to the school-going age group, or my interactions through my advocacy with, with different families... Yeah. I realized that a lot of children are in need of mental health care and support and unfortunately um in our country there are cases of course where parents and and caregivers are supportive but most instances that I have seen, especially when it comes to children under the i mean individuals under the age of eighteen yeah. um this the parental aspect actually becomes a barrier and an interference in children seeking mental health care. It becomes problematic. Which is why it came to my attention in the first place that you know their rights are not safeguarded under the Act. They can't exercise these rights on their own. And, you know, with the advent of smartphones and social media use, yes. academic stress student suicide, bullying. There is so much that the adolescents today are trying to deal with or are struggling with. And in between all this, to not be given specific rights to exercise is uh, quite alarming to me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So if you're an individual under the age of 18 and you're suffering with poor mental health, are right. there any services available and is there any support available for them within India, in, in the community?
1: Uh, well, I think uh, a lot of, um, at least based on my personal experiences, a lot of the adolescents have phones now. <clears throat> so yep. they either choose to speak to their friends or, you know, they they. Carry out a Google search and maybe try to find out what's going on. But accessing the services can become quite problematic uh, when it comes to, you know, we need consent of your parents because you're less than 18 years, or, you know, the payment towards taking a, a, a consulting or consulting with a mental health professional. I think during the COVID time, There could have been some solace for adolescents because a lot of um, helpline numbers came up. And I think speaking over the phone um, might be easier. It might be an easier way for them to seek mental health care. But in terms of, um, if you look at community care or community services, most of these can be accessed only via the parent or uh, the caregiver. So... You know, if they have somebody at home who's proposing, uh, you know, their mental health care treatment or they're not comfortable speaking to, it can become problematic for them to seek mental health services.
0: Okay, which kind of moves nicely on to the next topic that I would like to discuss, which is regarding the stigma of mental health within India. Right, <clears throat> right. Um, How stigmatized is mental health within India?
1: Um, Conversation around mental health has increased in the past five to six years. And I think mental health as a concept has received sufficient or has received more traction during these COVID times. Yep. Um, but all said and done, the levels of stigma in our country are still pretty high. But there's, I don't think there are any two ways around it. The, the levels of stigma and stigma operating at, you know, through various stakeholders in this process, it's still, it still exists in our country.
0: Okay. <clears throat> because I know one thing that I've noticed since COVID is that there have been more conversations around anxiety and depression because a lot of people are feeling something that they haven't necessarily felt before because prior to COVID obviously life was very busy and people were driving to various places for appointments and commuting to work and then all of a sudden life literally changed overnight well it it did over here when our first lockdown came in Um, and then I think over the last few months there is starting to be more of a conversation Mm -hmm. around anxiety and depression but the more serious diagnoses in terms of paranoid schizophrenia personality disorder bipolar still have quite a lot of stigma attached to them is there within india um social shame regarding mental health
1: i'm sorry Stephen. i didn't add your
0: question so within <clears throat> india is there social shame around mental health so for example if someone is suffering from a mental health problem um right. and their parents can't fully understand that is mm-hmm. is there social shame when people discuss mental health within India.
1: Okay, so uh, to start off, um, most people don't speak about their mental health or uh, mental illnesses very openly, and uh, I think, uh, you know, speaking about social change is still... uh, Steps away because the stigma is sometimes beginning as you know as um, proximate is the self-inflicted stigma that exists, and also the kind of um, stigma and stigmatizing statements that are made by immediate family members, which uh, does cause hindrance to the recovery and healing process so people aren't very open about it um i i mean maybe by virtue of the work that i'm into i do come to know of a lot more such instances but that is only because i think these people are involved in the mental health care uh, sector maybe a very small fraction would not be from the mental health or related sector but uh, otherwise no the conversation or speaking openly about um, Feeling depressed or going in for therapy or I need medication or i or I am on the support of medication. these are not conversations that uh, are seen at least in our social setup.
0: okay, and then that moves on to another topic that I would like to discuss in regards to how can the stigma be changed huh? not only within India but right. on a global scale how, how do you feel we can normalize the conversation around mental health
1: well um i know this is one of probably one of the most cliched answers that you might have gotten on this topic but i think uh, generating awareness is at the core of um of reducing stigma and when i look at you know putting out authentic and, uh, you know, authentic information about mental health, about mental illness. I look very keenly at involving the education sector at all levels. Uh, I am in favor of, you know, psycho individuals from the time that they come into school all the way to university or college. So, This can be something as uh, simple as speaking to children under the age of 18 about how they are feeling in schools, uh, introducing uh, wellness-based or mental health-based subjects in schools, maybe even offering mental health law in law colleges um speaking about mental health more openly from a young age is something which i'm sure will you know lead to well informed happier and healthier individuals as they move into adulthood um also um probably i mean this is just it's just my opinion but i hope that more people who have lived experience uh uh find it in them to come out in the open and share their stories of hope and of recovery because i think that goes a long way in in helping somebody else or you know because i also received those messages of hope when i was in a very dark space and seeing someone who has battled this, multiple people who have gone through this and are living full and complete lives today, and even some who are not. But having a clearer idea from, from other user survivors gave me a lot of motivation to keep going. Uh, so I think that is another thing that can help to challenge stigma, and not just people who are in the mental health space, but people from all walks of life doing different jobs, having very different career choices so that people know that you can carry on with different kinds of jobs. There are people all over the world who are, you know, who are living with mental illness but are also working in, you know, varied professions and doing wonderful things with their lives as well. And, um, you know, Professionals also, mental health professionals, I think, play a large part in reducing the stigma. So mm-hmm. I feel the interactions that um, uh, people have with mental health professionals, how they portray the scenario and how they speak to their clients, it, it, it makes a lot of difference in how the stigma is perceived by people.
0: Yeah, no... I absolutely agree, particularly with the, well, with all, all of the points, but particularly the education one. And right. I, I hadn't thought of the option of a, a module of mental health law being on the syllabus at, at college. Because I know over here in the UK, mental health law, as far as I'm aware isn't necessarily an option on the llb law degree right, right. You, you can do mental health law as a master's but right. there's not many universities that offer that service Absolutely. and i i also feel and i've mentioned this on previous episodes in that education is so important and vital in tackling the stigma and raising awareness. And if you teach, say, primary school children Mm age-appropriate material... Yes. um, ...then you can educate them into mental health, what constitutes good mental health, what constitutes poor mental health, and how we can use language to talk to someone who is suffering Absolutely. with depression. So, Absolutely. And th- the last thing that you would say to someone suffering with depression is to just get over it, snap out of it, because yes. that will have the exact opposite effect on that individual. Absolutely. Correct. And it seems to be easier to change the mindset of a child through yes. education through the years yes. so when they get to their late teens early 20s they will have more awareness they will be more um, aware of mental health and how best to approach the topic yes. yes, whereas the older you get the more set your views get and it's more difficult okay. to change and okay. i I also agree with your point in regards to mental health professionals and how they okay. talk to their patients or in my instance my my clients as a mental health lawyer by background okay. and okay. I always tend to try and change the way that I talk to an individual depending yes. on their diagnosis so it would alter with someone who suffers with a learning disability Uh and my interaction would alter if I was talking to someone who suffered with autism Uh and likewise with paranoid schizophrenia bipolar.
1: Yes.
0: Um, And I I also think that is important because you you can't talk to everyone who has a mental health problem the same because they all have their own individual backstory. Absolutely. And then obviously being a lawyer when you build a rapport with that individual you get to know how they react to certain things so you know how to word things in order for them not to um, react the wrong way and another point in terms of tackling the stigma I would say would be the use of social media because As as we know, there is a very positive side to social media and then you've got a very negative side of social media whereby there's a lot of trolls, there's a lot of online abuse. And if if you promote mental health in a good light on social media or you have influencers who talk about mental health, who have a lot of followers, then you could essentially start to not overnight but you could start to normalize yes. the conversation i mean yes. what's your thoughts on social media
1: uh okay so would you mean social media as a tool to further the advocacy or social media in general impacting mental health like what what context would um, you be asking this
0: in? let's let's talk about both Okay. Um and let's start with the impact that it can have on people's mental health.
1: Right. Uh, for me personally, I I always joke, uh, you know, um, with friends that uh, social media and I have a very complicated relationship, and. Uh, you know there are there are multiple times in a year that I delete my account or I deactivate. I just go off the radar because wow. something online would trigger me, yep. and uh, you know the the reaction is quite extreme. I said no no I just I want to take completely. I don't want anything to do with social media. So I think but you know there are of course there there are a lot of positives to social media as well. But I think how each one of us uses social media becomes very important. Yeah. Um, it, at the end of the day, it is a tool or you can consider it for entertainment purposes. And I have, you know, with time, uh, I have become more aware about what kind of social media usage works best for me and what kind of uh, practices actually make me feel worse. So, with, with that awareness, I've actually developed a routine that I'm more careful about how I'm using social media because I think if used without applying any thought whatsoever, it is something that can affect the person's mental health adversely without yeah. them even realizing it at times.
0: Yeah, no, that is a, a very good point that it should be used for a force for good in order to yes. um, implement social change and to start okay. a conversation in regards to mental health because the only way the conversation is going to be normalised is if we all mm-hmm. talk about it more often and we have people yes. with lived experiences coming out yes. and talking about their lived experiences and how they've worked through and Mm. to see their journey as a whole Mm. because the more people that talk out about their own experiences the more other people will think well yeah I can also talk out because I think the main thing is for people not to feel alone in what they're thinking Uh and if they see someone talk out so for instance um a few days ago i put a post on about the chronic anxiety that i suffered through my legal studies and my training contract and i put that on linkedin and some of the feedback that i got from that post um was very very heartening um uh. that people saw this and it it kind of put life into perspective for them and they realized yes. don't rush things yes have these goals but they will yes. come when they're ready to come and yes. y- you can't rush the process which was one of my um failings and probably still is now to an extent because I always seem to just set the bar so high uh, um, which at times is unachievable and I know it's unachievable but I still set it uh, there um, but when, when, when people read other people going through a similar thing t- to them it makes them think well I'm not the only one going through that age. because this person, i.e. me, went through it during their legal studies, during their mm-hmm. training contract, but they've come out the other end. Um. Obviously now I'm three years qualified and I run my own business. So, Wonderful. It's, yeah, it, it, it's just not rushing your goals because they will come right. when they come. Um, right. And, I mean... another way of tackling the stigma do you think that films and tv shows can play a a big part in tackling the stigma of mental health
1: definitely most most certainly yes um all over the world um you know the kind of impact that uh, film and television have on the lives of people on their perspectives on how they feel when they come out of the theatre, when they're absorbing that content.
0: Yeah.
1: I think it's, it can make a huge difference to how, how a particular social issue or a concept is perceived. Uh, they're very powerful mediums and uh, yes, they can either shed very poor light on, on a particular uh, concept or they can be used as tools of phenomenal social change i think it's it's so important for everyone in that um, industry as well to be aware and careful about how they are projecting persons with mental illness how they are uh, the kind of terminologies that they are using in films in the dialogues uh, on tv shows the kind of um, treatment that they are showing uh, or broadcasting, I think all of this can play a very, very important uh, you know role in the lens through which we, we see or perceive mental health and mental illness.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. And there's not that many films, to my yes. knowledge that have been out and portrayed mental health in a positive light. Um, okay. as far as I'm aware there's two there's Last Christmas who a previous guest recommended that film to watch and then you've got A Beautiful Mind with Russell Crowe in playing a maths okay. professor but okay. There doesn't seem to be many other films out there that show mental health in a positive light. And the one film that seems to get remembered more than all the others Uh is the one that Jack Nicholson was in called One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Which is a a very negative portrayal of Mm. mental health. I mean, yes, it, it may very well have been accurate at the time that it was filmed but yes. just putting a film out there discussing mental health in such a negative light
1: mm.
0: has in my view led to words like crazy becoming acceptable when you yes. mention a mental health patient and and yes. uh, they certainly if they're anything it's not crazy from the clients that I've represented. You you can have a very good conversation with them. Yes. Um so I mean in, in terms of your future vision of how mental health would be perceived on a global scale. What what is what is your future vision?
1: Um, I just don't I hope that mental health uh, becomes a part of normal and everyday conversation. Um, I hope that you know questions like how are you feeling are not limited to you know the superficial and bare minimum. Yeah. I hope we're looking at a future where each one of us can actually look out for one another have each other's backs whether you know we're looking at community support whether we are looking at creating safe spaces at the workplace within the localities that you stay in where people can be themselves where people are accepted and um, definitely you know a a future where uh, persons with lived experience of mental illness or those who are struggling with their mental health um are not treated as second-class citizens but live full and complete lives yeah. and are treated equally and with the utmost dignity and respect. So that's a future I hope that we get to see.
0: Absolutely, and I'm with you 100% on that. That is a future that I would very much like to see. And yes that we no longer distinguish between physical and mental health because um, we should yes. think of them as as one because yes. you need physical health just as much as mental health and vice versa. Uh-huh. And then obviously through COVID-19, we've all yeah. had to get used to a different way of working. Yes. How important yes. do you feel that the work life balance is, in order to sustain your mental health?
1: Okay, so um, when when I when I think of work life balance, I believe that it's a major determinant of mental health, and it does have consequences on a person's individual health parameters as well. Um. Interestingly, Stephen, when we spoke the last time, you mentioned how people in the UK are appreciative of the work-from-home situation during the lockdown. And, you know, I'd actually reserved the point so that we could bring it up in the podcast. But in India, the case is very different. Most people that I have spoken to or interacted with in the last six to eight months have not do not consider this work-from-home situation a blessing at all. So, you know, so many people have raised concerns about how this work-from-home setup has actually created a sort of toxic environment for them because, you know, work hours are no longer fixed. Uh, in many places, the work day is extending to 12 to 15 hours. There are no boundaries for private space or time. And, you know, there's hardly any time given to an individual to rejuvenate or recuperate for the next day. And um, it's actually becoming quite hectic to deal with the work-from-home situation for a lot of people. At least in India, that is the situation.
0: Okay, that's that's interesting because I know... In the UK, we've kind of quite liked being able to work from home because you can spend more time at home with the children. And, right. um, I think there would be scope to do a hybrid model. So some days you mm. go into the office and other days you work from home. Yes. And I think quite a few yes. people would be agreeable to that if employers decided that that was the way that they were going to go in terms right. of once we're <clears throat> out of the lockdowns within the UK and we've managed mm. to get COVID under control, if right. employers were thinking of going down the route of having a hybrid system of right. some working in the office, some working from home right. and then those stuffs switch over, so then the ones that were at home are in the office, and vice versa. Yes. But yes. I, I, think, a lot of people have started to appreciate the little things in life since COVID. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, spending yes. time with family and friends. Um. Obviously, FaceTiming and people have, are less, stressed in inverted commas in regards to the commute to work.
1: Because okay. They, okay.
0: they can work from home, so they don't have the stressful commute to to work right. and right. Then by the time they get to work, their stress levels are already so high uh. because of the commute that when they get to work, they might not be as efficient as if they could just switch on a computer right. at home and work from home right um so i I do feel that the work-life balance, it does have a place in society and probably more now than it's ever done with COVID. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But I guess that would be down to the respective employers as to yes. what they want to do when yes. we're out of COVID and back to some kind of normality.
1: Right. right.
0: Um. My final question and I always like to end on a light-hearted question, is that what would your dream job be and why?
1: Oh, (laughs) Uh, to be very honest, Steven, I would actually love to be doing the kind of work that you are doing at the moment. Because it sounds wonderful. Uh, It's very inspiring and it actually fits all the boxes that I sort of envisioned for myself as well. You know, um, I I hope that in the future, I'm able to represent uh, persons with mental illnesses or their caregivers or, you know, nominated representatives before mental health review votes in India. Yeah. Um. I would, you know, I would love to be a part of the committees or panels as well, those who decide on these cases. I'm... Um, you know, I'm very open and I would actually love the opportunity to teach mental health law at some point in time or be part of organizations and systems where, you know, I can contribute either through my field work or my research towards very actual and tangible progress in the mental health care space. So those would be, any one of those would be dream of situations for me. Uh, And I think, because, you know, even though it was not very clear to me uh, in the beginning when I was diagnosed, but, you know, whatever my journey has been with mental illness or with mental health, it has played a deciding factor in me taking up whatever career choices I have, you know, made today. Yeah. And... You know to understand other aspects of mental health care to spread awareness about them has given me a sense of direction and purpose which was lacking for me initially and you know mental health law actually came to me at a, a point in my life and motivated me to remain connected with the law when i was very very close to giving up law altogether so I think so much of, yeah, so much of what I have gone through has kind of guided me in the direction that I am in today and I'm I'm very grateful for for all of it, for the entire, the good and the bad, but I'm very grateful for it.
0: And that is such a, a positive um, way to end this podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and I'm sure the listeners will have taken a lot of insights from today's episode. Um and yeah, as as I say, absolute pleasure to have you on, Asavari.
1: Thank you so much, dear. It's been wonderful speaking to you. Thank you so much and thank you for all the good work that you're putting out.
0: And that concludes today's episode with a savoury. Please feel free to leave a review if you enjoyed today's episode and like and follow the Legal Wolf Instagram and LinkedIn pages to stay right up to date with the latest content. Thank you.